Welcome to Shoot This Now, the podcast where every week we talk about stories that should be made into TV shows or movies. This week we're talking about a story that should be made into a movie. I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Deirdre McHarrick. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm good. Um, Did you see any of the news stories in the last few weeks about an Indiana guy who was suing his parents for destroying his porn collection by any chance? To be honest, I didn't. Okay. Well, that's what we're going to talk about this week. All right. Well, I'm on board. You're all into it. He was staying with his parents after divorce. They got into some kind of dispute and he moved out. And they then found and destroyed by their own admission 12 boxes of porn and two boxes of sex toys that he values at $30,000. So he's suing them. And because Michigan allows you to triple damages in some cases, his lawsuit could come to six figures. Wow. Yeah. Two things. One, I would like to know the contents of those 12 boxes. And two, we should move to Michigan. Why would we move to Michigan? Because you can pursue triple damages. Oh, yeah. We could just set up a bunch of fraudulent lawsuits. Yes. Well, I'm not catching on. I'm not saying this is a fraudulent lawsuit. Oh, and that's the first thing you said. I have a list of everything in the boxes because I have the lawsuit that was filed. I can give you the 40 plus pages detailing all of the porns that were destroyed. Don't you just want to like pat him on the head and be like, bro, you could put this on a thumb drive. That's what we talk about every time we drive by our local porn store. Right. Yeah. This is a guy who was still buying hard copies of porn. Um, The Associated Press listed two of the thousands of titles he says were destroyed. Frisky Business, and Big Bad Grannies. Hmm. Um, I first heard about this on the Jesselnik and Rosenthal Vanity Project podcast, where Anthony Jesselnik, one of our favorite comedians, joked about how the Big Bad Granny series went off the rails with volume four, just like the Police Academy movies. Was uh, Jesselnik talking about this story, or was he just independently referencing Big Bad Grannies? No, he was talking specifically about this story. Oh, okay. And I fact-checked him. There's only one Big Bad Grannies in this guy's porn collection. The original Big Bad Grannies. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. Dude, how would you feel if I destroyed your $30,000 porn collection? I'd be really upset. Yeah. I actually would be upset. I would feel like, you know, like any collector, mm-hmm. I would feel like, oh, I've spent all of these years finding and uh, curating mm-hmm. these items. They mean something to me. I've spent time with these items. And they're worth a lot of money. I mean, yeah. they, there, was, there was a college fund right there. Yeah, this in is, my porn. This is an interesting case because if it were, you know, gold bars and right. his parents admitted that they destroyed them, it would be an open and shut case. They would just have to pay. But because, of course, it's porn, there's going to be some stuff where the parents make the case. No, no, no. We destroyed this for your own good. And his dad does tell him this in an email. We destroyed this for your own good. I destroyed this the same way I would destroy a crack file if I found it. Right. This is ruining your life, and you're going to be a better man for me. But that's this. illegal. Porn's um, not. Right. And we'll get into that. The dad tried to make the case that some of the porn was illegal. The guy totally denies that. Wow. Yeah. This is a this is a hot case. So before you jump into the comps, why now? Why is this story relevant now? This was just all over the news in the last few weeks. I mean, this is this has just come out. Apparently there's no Hollywood interest in it yet, which is crazy because I feel like this could be a very good comedy, obviously. But Whenever you see a lot of news out, outlets doing the same take on it, like, here's this crazy, wacky lawsuit, I, I'm always inclined to kind of dig a little deeper and try to figure out what the story is. And I think that the underlying story is actually a pretty tragic family story mm-hmm. where 
this isn't just a big joke. This is about real issues within this family, and it's a family being kind of torn apart with porn as the catalyst. Yeah, or or porn is just um, a, a symptom, right? Hold that thought. I will. Should we get into our comps? Let's do it. Okay. So we do several segments on this show. The first one is comps. This is like when you say it's like the Matrix meets Speed or whatever. Ooh. Um, I think this, this unfortunately, is not the Matrix meets Speed. This is the People versus Larry Flint meets Kramer versus Kramer. It's about the dissolution of a family in a fight over porn. Um, but as we mentioned, I think porn is, is more of a symbol in this case. Before we go in further, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about Kramer versus Kramer and your reaction to it when we saw it a few years ago. You're referring to the infamous crying at the end of Kramer versus Kramer. I, would you call it crying or weeping? I would call it manly crying. And what did you say amidst your weeping, crying, sobbing tears? He just wants his family to be together. No, you said, it's just so sad. It is so sad. And you wept as you said that. It's a good, it's a good movie. So I hope this isn't as sad as Kramer versus Kramer. However, I did not cry during the People versus Larry Flint, and I also did not cry during Avengers Endgame, which we saw yesterday. Nor did I. Though I was tempted. Really? I held it back. Wow, okay. Okay. So we've made it through the comps. Our next segment, key scenes. Sure. I'm breaking it up a little bit. I'm not doing specific scenes so much as just like acts, like three acts. Cause I think yeah, I like that. Nicely. I think that's, it works for me. Okay. Do you want me to dive in? Please. All right. So first, we're going to meet our lead character. We're going to call him Adam. Um, all of this is based on the lawsuit that was filed. We know the guy's name. We're not going to give the guy's name. Because I think this is a story where you take the actual facts and you fictionalize them. You don't do like an exact, you know, biopic of what happened. You kind of use this as the starting point and then you add to it as you want sure. when, you're, when you're making this movie. So let's call our lead character Adam. He's a tricky person and I don't know if audiences are going to relate to him completely. So let's tell the story from the perspective of his pretty likable lawyer. Remember how in The People versus Larry Flint, Woody Harrelson was Larry Flint and he was tricky, and so we got to root for his cool young attorney played by Ed Norton? Yeah. Our Ed Norton is a guy named Miles Greengard. I called him. He's a likable dude, but he wouldn't comment at all. He just pointed me to his very, very well-written lawsuit. Um, he's been flooded with media inquiries since he started this lawsuit, and what he tells everybody is no comment. But to give you a sense of what kind of guy he is, his previous brush with fame was registering the URL lvraiders.com a long time ago on the off chance that the Raiders might move to Vegas. And then they're actually moving to Vegas. Wow. So he's pretty smart. Forward thinking. Yeah, he's sharp. He is a guy who's thinking of multiple angles, including figuring out a way that he can not only sue for the porn collection, but also sue for triple. Nice. Um, by citing some, some Michigan law. Um, I think our movie starts with Adam walking in and telling Green Guard that he's always had a thing for porn since he was very young. And as he's recollecting this story, we'll see it all happening. We'll actually see uh, Adam's love affair with porn. Adam will chime in with kind of a Forrest Gump-like voiceover. Um, hopefully not with a Forrest Gump voice. Okay. All right. Okay. And from your understanding, is Adam a porn addict or is he a porn collector? Because I actually think those are two different, slightly different things. Um, this is a dispute within his family, and I think we're going to get into that. Okay. Um, I think he would say he is not a porn addict, and he thinks he would say his attitude towards porn is very healthy. His dad would, of course, compare it to a drug addiction. Okay. 
Okay. And both of these characters, I've got to say, are in many ways empathetic. I mean, you can relate to both of them. Mm -hmm. You can see both sides, and that's something that I like about this. So the narration begins. Adam explains that he's got a young daughter. His marriage is falling apart. The porn is not helping. And we see him and his wife get in a fight, and he just starts driving past a porn store with a going-out-of-business sign. He goes in. He buys a lot of porn, and then he brings it home and places it with all of the other porn. I'm thinking like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark where they take the Ark and put it in a warehouse with all the other mysterious objects. After that, I think we see him call his parents. Um, there are a lot of emails to his parents in the exhibits for the lawsuit, and I think we can easily turn those into phone calls to make them a little more uh, filmable mm -hmm. and fun to watch. Um, and you can see in these emails slash conversations little ways that his dad pushes his buttons. Like he's going to mediation for the divorce, and his dad says, and in this case I'm quoting verbatim, if you will take the advice of an old man, I suggest that you refrain from consuming sugar tomorrow, especially in the form of soda pop. I know you enjoy the, quote, energy that it gives you, but it also makes you behave like a jerk, parentheses, in much the same way that alcohol affects other people. Wow. Yeah. How, what what paint, picture does that paint of the dad for you? I mean, first of all, if someone told me to stop drinking soda pop, <laughs> it wouldn't end well for them. <laughs> right. So we'll start with that. You love soda pop. I love soda pop. Um... And clearly he, you know, is no expert on giving fatherly advice because I don't think this is something that is helpful at this moment in time. I mean, he's going in for this very major mediation with the end of his marriage. And I think it shows you how conservative the dad is. Like if he doesn't like soda pop, just imagine what he thinks about porn. Um, also the ways that he kind of controls and infantilizes his grown son, possibly out of love. I mean, he might be, he might think he's got his son's best interest in heart, but Obviously, if you got an email like that as a grown-ass lady. I mean, ahead of going into a mediation and referring to your son like a, as a jerk, I just think there's it's a little tone deaf. So mediation does not go great. Uh, he ends up broke after the divorce and also, for a time, homeless. So that's how we end the first third of our movie. That's act wow. one right there. So he moves in with his parents in October 2016. He does chores. He works on his paintings. He's a painter. That's his job. Like an artist? An artist, or, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he actually, in the emails, you see him going back and forth with his parents, explaining that he can't live in the basement. He needs to live where there's light so that he can paint. So he's really conscientious about his work. Do we know what kind of style? I looked through this, and I really couldn't find an indication, but he does seem to take it really seriously and seems to be talented. Cool. Um, do you also, do you have any sense of, or any detail around, like, the house that he grew up in or his childhood, what that was like? Yes, and we will get into that, but that's going to be kind of a reveal coming okay. up soon. Because the one thing I would say as we get into Act 2 is here's a good opportunity for our B story, which, if we're in his childhood home, might bring up memories or might make him think of his own child at this point. Yeah, I think we should get into his relationship with his daughter, which really isn't addressed in the lawsuit. And since we're fictionalizing him, I think we can really handle that however we want to. But I think it would be interesting as a viewer to figure out how he, how he combines this interest in pornography with raising a daughter. It's really interesting. I mean, I think it, it's, it's fascinating, actually, to think of someone who could have how you can compartmentalize that way. Yeah, and I don't know if he necessarily sees them as something that needs to be compartmentalized or if he sees them as two completely consistent things, like if he thinks of porn as perfectly good. But right, we'll, true. We'll, but mm -hmm. we'll get into that, yeah. Okay. Um, so we're going to see like the day-to-day -day life between him and his parents, and we get some of the details of the sort of things that they squabble over in the emails. 
Um, like him and his mom go back and forth about money. His mom wants him to kick in for groceries. She says he can use her car. Kind of sad discussions for a 40-year-old man to be having, moving back in with his parents after divorce. His dad is kind of on him about moving out as quickly as possible. And he just says this one's kind of, to me, really perfectly button-pushing thing. He says, hey, you know, your brother-in-law's a realtor, so that should really help you find a new place. And that's just kind of a double-edged sword because first it's like a reminder that you've got to not live with us, but also look how successful your brother-in-law is. Mm -hmm. It's just like perfect button pushing that's hard to put your finger on why it's so perfect. Yeah. It felt very authentic to me, and obviously because it really happened. He ends up staying for almost a year, but this tension is building, and then we get to the midpoint of our story. In August 2017, they get in a fight. His dad accuses him of throwing furniture around. His parents say they called the cops. He says he called the cops. But in the end, the police show up and tell Adam he has to leave for at least three days. The way the cops typically handle a domestic, they basically pick one person and say, you have to leave. Okay. So he's homeless again. He's couch surfing and looking for somewhere to stay. And then his parents find his porn and they destroy it. So he's in a bad place trying to find where he's going to you know, rest his head. And then he gets the word about the porn being destroyed. And he's really at a low point. So they start trading some emails, and there are a lot of reveals and accusations in these emails, and this is going to get into his childhood. Okay. Where did his parents find his porn? Was it hidden? He was storing it all, and apparently they'd let him keep some of his stuff. They say that they were unaware that he had porn, and he says that they were aware of it all along. This will all come out later. But either way, they were rooting through his belongings. They went through his boxes and found a lot of porn. The lawsuit literally has 40 pages of describing all the porn because he needs to list it all in order to get his money back for that porn. Um, And he holds really nothing back. I mean, it isn't like he's like saying, uh, 11 video cassettes valued at this amount. He's, like, listing the names of the porn. It's, like, really graphic. Are there certain porn titles or magazines that would actually be of value to collectors? Or is it just the sheer volume? That's what he's saying. I mean, I think that's the thing that will actually come up in court. But one point that he's making is that not only are some of these video cassettes that are no longer available, the companies don't even exist anymore, the companies that made them. I mean, because now, of course... So they're rare, possibly. Yeah, I mean, most porn now is digital, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, I don't know how much, what percentage of porn is being produced on, like, DVDs. But just to be clear, we're not talking about, like, the first issue of Playboy magazine. No, this is, like, porn. And it is, like, extremely explicit titles, um, mostly from, like, the 90s through now. Okay. So All some right. of it is quite old and would be very difficult to reproduce or track down. All right. So... In a December 30th, 2017 email, Adam encourages his dad to watch porn, and he says something kind of gross. As he's talking about, like, what he's doing with his life, he says, for me, there are college girls out there waiting to be made into women. Um, I just found that weird. All right. Gives you, like, a sense of... Yeah, my... Wait, did his dad say that, or Adam? Adam says that. Oh, yeah. Um, So... it It just gives us, like, a little bit of a flavor of the kind of stuff he says to his dad, which is... It also makes me shift my oh, yeah. alleg- allegiance. Yeah, I, he's a complex character, and mm-hmm. I don't want anybody to think like, you know, he collected porn because he loves the First Amendment or something. I mean, he's complicated. 
Absolutely. So on New Year's Day, just 2018, right after this email, his dad sends him an email that says that when he was in high school, Adam joined a gang that distributed porn to underage boys. I mean, granted, Adam might have been about their age at the time, but the dad says that he destroyed the porn and reported his son to the school, and he says he went off to college and got married, and quote, at that point, we figured out you were her problem and not ours. Apparently, the love of a good woman wasn't enough to turn you from your evil ways. After 10 years of abuse, she had enough and kicked you out. Wow. I'm taking her name out of that and just replacing the pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, the dad also alleges that some of the porn that him and his wife, Adam's mother, found is child porn, which is, of course, totally gross and beyond the pale and criminal, and Adam denies all of that. The dad, also, one quick thing, I personally find it kind of odd that if he were collecting child porn, he would run to the police. That doesn't strike me as um, very likely. Yeah. The dad also says, given your history, it would not seem to be a big leap to assume that you were still selling it to minor boys. And if I can <laughs> interject again, I mean, does that sound crazy? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, when his dad said that he, quote unquote, joined a gang to distribute porn, so a teen a porn teen, distribution a gang. Teen porn distribution gang. Okay, I mean there. That's a separate film idea. <laughs> okay, so um, I think his dad is so out of touch with uh, the world. I don't think teen boys are lining up desperate to buy old VHSs of porn because they have all the porn they could ever want available online. I know, but even I feel like it's like when you bought a cigarette for a dollar in high school because you were trying to be cool. Yeah. It wasn't like a, a cigarette ring or like a booze ring. It was just like barter and trade and just trying to get your hands on something because you were curious as a teenager. I would be very curious about how the alleged teen porn distribution ring worked. Um, and I mean, I'm about this guy's age. I guess when I was in high school, maybe people would have paid for like secondhand porn because we didn't have the internet. Right. Yeah. Um, so that seems plausible. But the no, the idea of like kids today, like lining up to buy porn, that sounds nuts to me. Yeah. Or like there being like a formal porn distribution gang. <laughs> right. It's like the way the kids line up outside 7-Eleven and say like, can you go in and buy yeah. me a beer? Yeah. He thinks there's kids outside 7-Eleven like, will you go in and buy me a porn? It's pretty... Pretty cool. I've never seen it happen. I've also it, never seen it happen. It's possible, I guess. Um, so a couple of months later, and we'll condense time here, Adam sends his dad a vigorous defense of porn that is biblically based. He says, does Jesus say anything about porn? No. Jesus talks about not committing adultery in your mind. Are these women I am lusting after married? No. Those are paid actors and actresses. Are they good at it? Eh, some of them. Is it sexist? No. Both sexes are there. Does it degrade people? Not if they're good at it. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm kind of back on his team again. Yeah, I like his defense, um, except for uh, degradation relates to how good you are at something, right. which I don't know if he understands that word. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But then he gets to something that I think is kind of found poetry. I mean, this is... Yeah, and actually, I think this, I think what you're about to talk about is kind of the almost a theme in a way. Yeah. I think this is the crux of it all. Um, and it's so important to who he is. 
he says, I am glad about the person I am. I am glad about the person I turned out to be, with or without you, with job or no job, with house or homeless, because I was present and I made every choice I thought was best for me and no one else. I collect porn to remind me that I'm not you. I'm me. I have thoughts and feelings too. Sad, sad thoughts. Angry thoughts, but human, so human. Honor my life and honor my experience and honor my thoughts because I am out here surviving outside your shadow. Damn. It feels to me like his motive and his origin story have been kind of hiding in plain sight this entire time. He's been using porn to rebel against his parents for a really long time. And that's what this has always been about. That's why porn becomes such a focus of the conflict between them. And I, I mean, I think, too, I took away from this as well, that there's something about porn or his affinity for porn that ties to his authentic self. I think he feels like, I like porn. I really like it. Yeah. And I don't see why there's anything wrong with that. And there's no shame in saying I like porn. So there's something about his just wanting to be able to express that, just being able to say, I enjoy this, I like it, I made this choice for me, and deal with it. Yeah, I think it's also interesting in terms of story because it's something that some people consider completely harmless and other people yeah, consider completely harmful. Exactly. And it isn't like crack where some people can like make an art, where one side can make the case that it's healthy and one side can't. I mean, it's just, it's not healthy. Crack is not healthy. Right, exactly. But... Porn, I mean, there is a legitimate debate. There are academics on both sides mm-hmm. um, who will talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's legal. And it's totally legal, as he says. I mean, that's why there's sort of the mudding of the waters with the question of whether or not the porn is illegal, but he's adamant and said in an affidavit that it's all completely legal. Yep. So, mm-hmm. so end of act two, he goes to prosecutors trying to get them to press charges against his parents. They don't. So act three. We're back at the lawyer's office, present day. Adam is kind of back on his feet now. He's moved to Indiana, and he wants to keep going forward with his life, but he also wants to get reimbursed. And him and Miles, the lawyer, have a long talk, I'm sure, about how filing the lawsuit is going to blow up his family. And they think it over, and there's probably a little bit of debate with both of them. Mm -hmm. And then Adam does it anyway. And maybe the idea is, you know, this will be settled quickly, but before that can happen... It all blows way out of control. A local Fox News reporter finds the lawsuit, does a really thorough story about it, and it ends up going to Fox National. And from there, it goes totally viral. And we get all these stories, and Jimmy Kimmel, and the podcast I heard it on, and everywhere else. These are very dark times for Adam, and for his lawyer, honestly, Miles, because neither of them thought this was going to blow up to such a ridiculous extent. And that brings us to where we are now. And I'm sure, I think it's really important to note that I feel like for this story to work for Adam, it isn't about the money at all. I think we established that, right? Like to your earlier point, it's about rebellion. It's about pushing back on his parents on, you know, maybe how he was treated as a child and being repressed or what have you, or not being able to be his authentic self. But then it turns into, he turns into a joke. As long as we're fictionalizing it. Yeah. I think he makes... I think it might be about money. I mean, because this is this is a guy who has struggled financially. I mean, he was homeless for a little while. Like the money is a real thing, but I think he may make it passion may passionately say it's about money, but it's for him really deeply at a psychological level about something else. Right. And maybe the money is for his daughter. Wow, that's a good B story right there. There we go. That's we a found very it, good Tim. B story. Yeah. Maybe she needs a 
heart transplant? Um, probably. Oops, not do that. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I think if he gets the money, we can surely bet that some of it will go to his daughter. So he does have kind of two things going here at once. Awesome. Um, so how does the story end? We don't know in real life how this story ends. I mean, we can wait a few months or years for a ruling. If this case is just about destroyed property, I mean, he probably wins. But at the same time, we all know that the jury is going to be skeeved out by the gross titles of his porn. No matter how much he insists it's all legal, they might be a little suspicious. Um, so I think we need to fictionalize a pretrial scene that gets all this across, where it's really obvious that both sides are going to get beat up here. It's going to be embarrassing for the parents. It's going to be embarrassing for him. Um, they both really have second thoughts about this whole lawsuit and this whole fight. And I'd like to see a scene, honestly, where his dad drives home from court and he just happens to pass a porn store on the interstate and he sees that it's going out of business, just like we saw Adam do at the very beginning of the story. And how I hope this ends and how I'd like it to end is his mom and dad show up one night at his house and he's very surprised to see them and they tell him, we're hoping to reach not a court settlement and he invites them in and they bring him boxes and boxes of porn. So I like that ending, but I actually have a better ending. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to usurp your ending. So I liked when you said his dad drives home past the porn store on the interstate. It's going out of business. And his dad goes in. End scene. That's way better, Tim. Come on. Or in, in what I was actually Wait, reading is this. is yours implying that the dad has been into porn all this time? No, I think it's that his dad is trying to understand his son. So oh. he's actually like just trying to understand where he's coming from. So we have the same ending. Mine just spells it out. Yeah, yours is just a little contrived. Mine, <laughs> mine has the parents. Um, Deirdre, we're trying to win Best Picture here. You gotta, you gotta sell it all the way. Yeah, put him in the porn store, Tim. Okay, I, all right. Well, I can, I can take I, it to the next level. I'm misreading yours as the dad has been a secret porn freak all this time. No, I think you can do it in a way that it's clearly he's just trying to understand his son. You know, and I mean, I would also say a couple of things. One, I think this would work a lot better if it was actually set in the 80s or 90s, hmm. where it's more believable that these kind of porn stores and porn collections exist, because I think it's honestly hard for people to suspend disbelief at this point that you can't get your porn on the Internet. No, this is this happened. This really happened. Like, we don't need to. But recently, that. right? Yeah, this is this lawsuit was filed like weeks ago. But I'm saying even still, people will. Um, I don't think so. I, I mean, I think outside of like major cities, you do drive by the interstate and see porn places all the time. Yeah, maybe. I mean, this is in Michigan and it's a pretty rural part of Michigan. Not rural, but it's a pretty, um, it's outside of a really big city and well, it's a pretty conservative part of Michigan. Just something to think about. Okay. Yeah. I think part of the debate too, what's so interesting to me is it's this family man, really. It's this guy who has a wife and a, a kid you know, then he goes through a divorce. But even during that, he's collecting porn. Yeah. You know, and is this a morality question or is it not? And how can you be both things? How can you be this person who seems wholesome in, in so many regards and then this person who enjoys something that isn't perceived as wholesome in any way? Um, uh, you know, the whole duality of humanity, of humankind. I think there's a definite debate about whether he's like, using porn to get through rough patches in his marriage or if porn is contributing to the rough patches in his marriage. Yeah, and I think that goes for really any vice. Let's call porn one in this regard where 
is it an emollient or is it an abrasive, right? Yeah. Like alcohol, drugs, porn, yeah. food, right? And it, it can be both, actually. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely people who, like, get in a fight and they go down to the bar to have a drink, and that ends up making things blow over. And then mm-hmm. there's people who go to the bar and have a drink and come back and get in another fight. Mm-hmm. It's, I, th- I think it's an interesting thing to discuss in the, in the film. Totally agree. So our next segment is Who Should Play Who? Development. Yes. Um, who we'd like to see write this and direct this and all that stuff. I just want to write this personally. I Or, you know... <laughs> yeah. It's all mapped out. I just want to write it. Um, but I think it kind of writes itself, and I think anybody could take the facts in this and do a great job with it. Um, you can draw on a lot of personal experience, too. Oh, because of my extensive comic book collection. Yeah, your comic book collection. That you're always trying to throw away. You do have an extensive comic book collection, to I, be fair. I do, but... Wasn't it helpful when we saw Avengers yesterday? Um, to have yeah. So many, so many facts yeah, at I, instant recall. Sure. <laughs> Whatever you say. To play the parents, I would like Ed Harris, one of your favorite actors. I love Ed Harris. And Celebrity Crushes. And Mary Steenburgen. I, I love those. I love both of those choices. Um, I had a couple other ideas as well, but mm. I really do like yours. I also thought our boy Craig T. Nelson... Oh, Craig T. Nelson's Hello. the best. Um, and Sally Field. Love that. Okay. And then my other couple was Bill Murray and Francis McDormand. I think it depends <laughs> on the tone. They're obviously, if we want to push this more into like a dark comedy realm. Yeah. If it becomes like a contest of like parents versus kid, yeah. then definitely yeah. that's the way to go. Exactly. Um, and it could be, I think it's a thing where you like write the drama first and then you add jokes if you're going to take it in a comedy direction. Mm-hmm. But... You've got you've to gotta respect the characters like throughout because they do both have a point. Totally, yeah. For Miles, the lawyer, I think another Miles, Miles Teller or Aaron Taylor Johnson. How old is this gentleman? He is early 30s. Oh, wow, he's young. Yeah. I was also thinking maybe Chris Klein from oh. American Pie. Okay. Just He's Midwestern. This is set in like Indiana, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he would be a good fit. I also thought, okay, if we just wanted to, like, just try something totally different, mm-hmm. what about, like, Wesley Snipes? As just, the lawyer? Yeah, just get someone who has, like, a little bit more of, like, a point of view. All right, he's way older than this lawyer, but I'm Attitude- into it. Attitudinally, they're similar. I'm into it, and I could see Wesley Snipes making a very slick financial argument before a jury. That's kind of what I was thinking. Okay, yeah. I'm into it. I like it. Um, and Adam, I only have one choice, and I'm going to go hard on this. I actually couldn't think of anyone better. Do we want to say it together? Charlie, Charlie Day. Day. No one could do better than Charlie Day. That was Day. the most horrifying thing we've ever done. I'm uh, embarrassed. I blushed. Um, he'd be so good at it as like the kind of hard to pin down, kind of likable, kind of... Not that the real Charlie Day is like this, of course, but like his character in Always Sunny is like... A perfectly lovable but also like gross guy at the same time and I want people to be able to read it either way I'm not saying the real person is gross I'm saying the fictionalized version needs to have that quality and I I am sad this is sad to think about but I actually think someone else who could have been really great in this role if he was still with us would have been Philip Seymour Hoffman 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, like thinking about the character he played in Magnolia, yeah. I feel like that was kind of that perfect balance. Yeah, that's really good. So, That's really good. Really vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just thinking of the part where he has to call and order the porn. I totally think I love that's like my favorite scene that's such a good scene and he plays it so beautifully I, I love him it when I was thinking about him I also thought a great possible director for this who I think would lean in a little bit more to like the creepy elements but I'm okay with that would be Todd Solons oh yeah this is very Todd Solons uh, this is interesting um the actual guy when he's listing his I think his property Oh, he also lists items that were destroyed that weren't porn. Oh, okay. But the vast majority is porn. He has some records listed, and he also has all the porns listed. So why don't I read you a title, and you try to figure out if it's a porn or an album. Okay. Okay. Uh, Pixies, Surfer, Rosa. That is a album, Tim. Okay. Hollywood Hooters. That is a porn. Black Watch, Highs and Lows. That is a porn that is an album who twin cheeks four that's a porn (laughs) (laughs) uh marriage and other four letter words album that is a porn from 1974 oh um alice in wonderland Uh, that is a i think there's probably an album and a porn both with that title he has a dozen 1976 porn but you know i could really go away uh legendary pink dots your children uh, that's a that's an album. Thank God, yeah. All right. Uh, Muff Divers Delight. I'm I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I can't do this anymore, Tim. Oh, you have the emails too. Wow. I have all the emails. I'm like so excited. I have some late night reading. Yeah. Another person he's really into, and this will be of great interest to a limited audience. Um, singer Paul Gazabak. Oh, interesting. Who is the lead singer of the Jim Yoshi wow. Pileup, um, as well as a wonderful solo artist. Jim Yoshi Pileup is one of my favorite bands ever, and I just ordered a t-shirt of theirs a couple days ago. You've been wearing that tee nonstop. Yeah. Um, Paul writes some of the best songs. I, I, have a, I have a Paul song stuck in my head almost all the time. Um, and yeah, this guy had a lot of his albums. Very and interesting. It's very sensitive and like very emotional, thoughtful music. And it's not a guy, it's not the guy you're picturing when you think of somebody who has like a bunch of porn. It's a guy who listens to very poetic, beautiful... Absolutely moving music. Yeah. He'd have to do the score. So we'll give him the score. Nothing but love for Paul. We all love Paul. Um, What do we call this thing? What do we call this thing, Tim? Um, There are a lot of dirty, dirty names we could call this, but we're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. We could call it Collection. Oh, I like Collection. Cool. That was off the cuff. Yeah, that was a really good time. I hadn't given that one much thought. Would you give it the the or just go collection? Collection's a little eerier. It depends who directs it, I think. Yeah. Cool. Well, I would see the living hell out of this movie. I um, would too. One thing that, that a, a good note that I got on the podcast is what's the conflict in the story? Mm-hmm. And I think this one has a very good, strong conflict. I think it has the internal and the external conflict. You have the family, but then he also has... Clearly some things he needs to work out, you know, uh, within himself. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Deirdre, thank you very much for doing this with me every every episode. My pleasure. You are amazing. I can't get enough about of talking about Indiana porn. 
<laughs> and Indiana theme porn as well, which has been very popular since Mike Pence became the vice president. I was going to say there's probably like corn husks involved, but that's Iowa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's strictly Iowa porn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Potato porn is Idaho. Yeah. Okay. And Ireland. Deep dish porn, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Best porn there is. Yeah. Well, uh, some people prefer New York style porn. I don't know. It's it's taste. Yeah, it's true. If you enjoyed this episode, even after all the jokes we just made, please give us five stars on iTunes and subscribe so that you get new episodes whenever they come out because we put them out kind of whenever we want to. Um, also, I have another podcast called The Low Key Podcast with Aaron. Are Lanton. you doing a cross promotion? Yeah, I'm doing a cross promotion. Wow. With my pal Aaron Lanton I'm and my still pal here, you know. Keith Denny, um, where we talk about all sorts of wonderful things, sort of from a pop fandom standpoint. Uh, if you like this, you'll probably like that. And uh, Deirdre, anything you want to promote? I would like to promote Phantom of the Opera is coming to the Pantages in a month. So check that out, folks. Wow, can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Porn version or regular version? Porn. Would I endorse the regular version? Please. (laughs) Didn't think so. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Bye. That is a porn.